Brethmen's Battle Scars by Onyx and Elm. Chapter 50 April 4th, 2001 She has poisoned herself at least a hundred times, and by now she knows what to expect. If it's wrong, and it's always wrong, then within the first few minutes the walls of her stomach will start to burn, sharp stabbing pains following shortly after. Her hands will start to shake, and the blood will rush to her head, and if she's not quick about it, she'll pass out. She's gone through more bezoars than she can count. Certain attempts have been so disastrous she's needed more than just one to soak up the toxins. But today... She exhales slowly, glancing down at her hands. No shaking, no visible tremors whatsoever. She presses one softly against her stomach, waiting for that inevitable shock of pain to cramp or double over. It should have happened by now. And when her hands do start to shake, a good five minutes later, she knows it's not from poison. The effect is gradual, a fade of shadows and colours before her eyes, wisps not unlike the smoke of a Patronus charm casting themselves around the room. Shapes take form soon after. A familiar leather armchair she knows well, drapes drawn across a window, and Theodore not asleep on his sofa. The cup she drank from slips out of her hand and shatters to the floor, remnants of the potion leaking across the tile. He's clear as day, only slightly transparent, and she can see his chest rise and fall, slow and even, can see the clean line of the arm he's got thrown over his eyes, the journal left open on his chest. Her heart starts to pound, and for a long moment she just stands there, frozen, staring. At a certain point it had started to feel impossible, a damned endeavour, a futile habit, so futile she almost doesn't want to test it. The part that matters most, she has to work herself up to it. With fingers trembling, she blows out more nervous breaths and reaches towards the wisps, towards the apparition of Theo, still peaceful and undisturbed. If she's somehow miraculously gotten this right, he won't be for long. The conjured smoke is cold to the touch, a teasing whisper against her skin, and when she curls her fingers and makes a fist, the world around her evaporates. With a small shriek and a rush of air, she's lying face first on the carpet of Theo's study. He's up in an instant with a gasp, journal falling to the floor. He clutches his chest and stares at her, eyes wide and bleary. Theo! She splutters, lifting herself onto her hands and knees. Hermione, what what happened? Theo! She's almost panting now, bewildered excitement catching up with her. Theo, it works! It works! There's a gap, a confused pause as he fully wakes up, fully comprehends, their eyes locked. And then he's off the sofa, scrambling to pull her the rest of the way up from the floor. He gathers her against him, warm and familiar and smelling like he always does. His chin drops to the crown of her head and she feels his chest deflate as he lets out a breath they've been collectively holding for the past two years. Thank fuck. They apparate back to her flat in London. The mess has been piling up for a long while now, discarded bottles and shriveled herbs strewn about, books dog-eared and stacked on every surface. Only the cauldron sits in relative cleanliness, away from the clutter. 
She couldn't risk contaminating it. What is it? Theo asks, staring down into the milky potion, still bubbling away. He hasn't bothered to dress or comb his hair, and he's still barefoot. Hermione tucks her curls behind her into a bun, circling the cauldron. The flowers. All of the base ingredients were correct. The angel's trumpet and brambury for trace detection, the knotgrass from polyjuice, and the thamagoria from the potion of all potential. But the rose and white orchid were too impersonal. Theo's eyes flash at that. Adding the flowers had been his idea. And he'd been right, save a small detail. I think the brewer has to manifest what they want out of it. I had to make it personal. He approaches the dining room table she's turned into an overlarge cutting board. What did you use? She moves to his side, gesturing to them in turn. Valerian, for forgetfulness. Cyclamen, for separation. Dogwood, for constancy and undiminished love. She says the last in a quiet voice. I'd been using those for weeks, but they seem too straightforward. Too simple. She moves her hand to the rest of the soft white petals of the fourth flower in line of ingredients. So I added Snowdrop for hope and Tansy for hate. Theo finishes for her, tone unreadable. A declaration of war. She nods in silence, chewing her bottom lip. I would have worried the effect would be too strong. She nods again. I did, but then I thought about it and I realised I... She trails off, pinching the flower's soft yellow cluster of petals and grinding them to dust. Well, I hate him half the time. When I think of him, part of me is always furious. Theo hums in the back of his throat. It's brilliant. He's possibly the only one who thinks so. From those first weeks and every moment since, he's been at her side. From the moment she took his hand on that cliffside, shaking so violently he couldn't seem to let go of the ashes clutched in his palm. Look at the wind, she had said, keeping her eyes low to spare him. No one likes to be watched as they cry. Fierce and headstrong, just like her. Most people would have called it bad weather, especially for a funeral. Violent gusts whipped up against them, chasing away black umbrellas. Angry clouds looming above. In the moment, it felt perfect. She'd want it like this. Theo had choked on a sob at that, shoulders jerking with it. But he let her fingers work over his, relaxing his grip until Pansy's ashes started to fall between the gaps, whisked away by that invisible current in an instant. The two of them stayed on that cliffside until well after dark. The Parkinson family and the small gathering that accompanied them, some friends, some less than friends, long gone. She held his hand until it was numb, and he cried until his eyes welled practically shut. From then on, they were nearly inseparable. No one else understood, not in the way he did, not in the way she did. Everyone else tried to talk her out of it. In the weeks and months that came after that letter, she tried to cope the way most people do. She broke a lot of things, drank herself into stupors, failed two of her newts and received an incomplete in muggle studies. Thea was always there with the fire whiskey, holding her hair as she got sick on the Slytherin common room floor and then tucking her into his own four-poster. She became something pathetic and revolting in that final term, for days crippled and dragging, strung together by hangovers and little else. She felt guilty when it came to Theo, he with the greater loss, 
Theo had more of an excuse than anyone to turn to drink, and yet instead he curled into himself, fell into fugue states and bouts of forgetfulness. More than once she found him standing in an empty corridor, staring at his feet. Lost. She's told he would have failed all of his courses, if not for McGonagall's good word. Harry, Ron and Ginny did what they could. She will always respect them for the space they gave her in that time. She knew she was a sinking ship, a Theo a wreck upon the rocks. What good was it to drag anyone down with them? But it was untenable, an impossible lifestyle to maintain. Hardly a life at all. Something had to break, and by God it did. On the last night of term, dodging the feast and blissfully alone, Hermione convinced Theo to split a bottle with her. Three quarters to the bottom, and all talked out about loss and pain and the fucking stupid, unbearable world they lived in, Theo had turned and looked at her. She'll never forget that look. A bleak and shattered amalgam of trust and hope and terror, an unspoken plea hiding behind it all. He'd blinked, and she'd blinked, clearing away the fog of fire whiskey, and then his mouth was on hers. A better person might lie, might say it felt immediately wrong and out of place, like kissing a brother or a best friend, the way kissing Ron always felt. She tries not to lie any more, even if the truth guts her. And for a moment there, it felt fucking incredible, and she refused to compare it to anything. Theo kissed gently and with great care, unfettered by the alcohol, tender where others might be sloppy. His hands, the way they cupped her jaw as he nipped at her lips, they made her feel like something precious, breakable. It would also be a lie to say she stopped it first. She let him tilt her head back and mouth a steady path along the column of her throat, moaning as he did it and weaving her fingers through his hair that was thicker and more coarse than she expected. She let him carry her all the way up to the dormitory, drunk on something other than fire whiskey. Let him strip her to almost nothing and lay her down. Let him cast the fucking contraceptive charm and line himself up. They were that fucking close. It was only in the exact moment he broke that she realised she was waiting for it. His elbows gave out and he collapsed on top of her, suddenly racked by uncontrollable sobs. Wide-eyed and relieved and terrified, She'd wrapped her arms around him and cradled him to her as he shook and cried into the crook of her neck, gasping out over and over, I'm not him, I'm not him, I'm not him. Hermione tilted her head sideways, letting her own tears roll off her cheeks and kissing his temple, suddenly certain of something, though not certain what. In his ear she muttered, I'm not her. At this, Theo whimpered and let his muscles go slack. It never happened again. They slept that way, naked and tangled up, damp with tears, and by the next morning she knew what she needed to do. He helped her dress, timid and ashamed until she took his face in her hands, gave him a small shake and whispered, Thank you. The kisses she desperately needed, for someone to sleep next to, to hold, just once and then she mucked up the courage to ask for his help. Hermione, I think that's illegal. Don't do this yourself. It's a dead end. You have to let him go. It's what they all told her, 
So many times over the past two years, she's lost track. But not Theo. Never him. That morning, as they boarded the Hogwarts Express for the last time, she told him what she intended to do, and he told her that the cauldron she wanted to use would be too small. Theo, brilliant and tenacious, second in their class all those years before a reason. She thought for a long time that he put in all the time and energy as a favour. One day, a year and many failures in, he told her he needed a purpose, something worth doing. Every book they read told them a potion like that didn't and couldn't exist. But Theo just said, everything can't and doesn't exist until it does. So they agreed to force it into existence, their own secret, forbidden creation, cautiously dubbed Seek and Find, a potion, when drunk, that allows the brewer to locate and furthermore apparate to whatever they wish to find, or in this case, whomever. She wasted so many weeks, fresh out of St Mungo's, searching for him blindly on foot, knowing all the while she would never find him. Everyone told her so, just as they told her this potion would never work. And yet here she is, staring at it. Complete. Functional. Real. They designed it to use something the sort after had made. For nearly two years now, Theo has been making her charmed paper cranes and swans and stars for every test run. A fresh box of them sits on the floor of her kitchen even now. Once used, the object is destroyed. A kink they could never work out. Which is why Theo asks, Are you sure? Later that afternoon, and watching as she unhooks the broken chandelier pendant from around her neck, He's sitting at the foot of her bed, scribbling in his journal again. Not the green one from so long ago. Something personal, just for him. She asked once what he wrote. Just nonsense. And then she never asked again. She's nearly ready now, struggling a little in front of the mirror, feeling foolish getting all dolled up, as Theo called it. There's still the chance it won't work, but she's gone two years not giving half a damn whether her hair is tangled or her clothes are clean and the thought of his eyes on her, in that state, pathetic and beaten down, is unbearable. Part of her admits that she also needs an excuse, something to kill time. Now that the moment's upon her, two years and one month in the making, she feels somehow unprepared. Yes, she says, despite it all, staring at the crystal shard in her palm. She'll never see it again, once it sinks into the cauldron. If this goes wrong, she loses one of the only pieces of him she has left. Are you scared? Theo asks several minutes later, in a quiet voice, standing beside her as she watches her reflection bubble in the potion's white froth. She holds the pendant above it, dangling like a final lifeline. Terrified, she murmurs. Theo must see her hand shaking. He steps forward and wraps his hand around hers, holding her fist tight around the chain for a moment as he says, I think he'd want it like this. Just as she did on that cliffside. It's an important validation, unspoken until this point, but ever since the first failed brew, a part of her has wondered if what she's doing is wrong. Cruel. If by some miracle she finds him, he'll turn her away. It's what's best. She blinks furiously, fighting the tears as they well up in her eyes. But Theo just says, Come on, Gryffindor. And he peels her fingers back. That fractured crystal gleams one last time as it strikes the potion's surface, 
and the milky white tints blue as it sinks away. She wants to mourn for it. She doesn't have the time. Theo finds a teacup balanced haphazardly on the corner of a stack of books. He dumps the long cold tea into the pot of one of her fake plants, then returns to her side and tucks it into her hand. Do you want me to go with you? he asks. She shakes her head mutely, still blinking the tears back, but she squeezes his hand as she takes the cup. Bottoms up, then. It's as bitter as it's ever been. She's always thought it tastes like poison. And for a moment, she tricks herself into thinking something's gone wrong, clutching at her stomach when it flutters dangerously. It turns out it's only butterflies. She doesn't think she's felt those in years. But they spread their wings and wreak havoc and vengeance upon her at the sight of those wisps gathering into shapes around the cluttered room. Hermione reaches for Theo immediately, shackling his wrists and holding her breath, unable to hear her eyes as the smoke starts to settle. She makes a sound she can't quite define, because she's been wondering something else from that first day too. Something that's threatened to cripple her more than once over the years. The chance that he might be gone. Really gone. That he might have done something unforgivable. Unfixable. And yet, there he is. Her knees wobble beneath her and only Theo prevents her from meeting the hard tile floor. His shadowy form, so raw, so familiar, so permanently imprinted on her eyes, kneels over something not quite in focus, hands working over it. She can't see his face at this angle, not until he stands and wipes his palms on the side of what might be jeans. She isn't sure. The mottled smoke grows clearer then, just before he turns where she can see him. Turns away from... A garden. Yes, it's a garden. She huffs out a strangled, disbelieving breath, losing all control of her lungs a moment later when his face comes into view. It all comes rushing to the forefront. Every repressed, buried thing. It narrowly knocks the wind out of her. And she can't manage a single breath. Not a movement, not a sound. Can only watch as he tosses a spade carelessly aside and starts to walk away. The mirage follows him, trailing after as he pulls open a door to what must be his home. He massages the back of his neck and sighs, moving through rooms until he reaches a small kitchen. She's watching him fill a kettle with water when Theo finally speaks. Go on, then. Ripping her gaze away, she meets his eyes and he must see all the shock and relief and trepidation mixed across her face. He nudges her with an elbow, and his tone is casual in a way she didn't know it needed to be. I'll see you when I see you. The words are what takes it to make her reach out and close her fist. The crack of apparition is near deafening to her ears, and it takes everything in her not to topple over the way she did that morning, this time from wind. Salt and cool mist whip against her face, and when she manages to open her eyes, she's facing the sea. Her curls fly about her face as she takes in the rolling yellow-green hills leading up from its shore, ebbing and flowing at sharp angles all the way up to the precipice that the modest cottage sits on. She turns in a slow, bewildered circle, finding nothing beyond more hills, more grass, completely secluded. By the time she's gone full circle, facing the cottage again, 
The front door is open and he's standing there. He must have heard her apparate. And it's then that she realises... Two years. Two years and she's never given a single thought to what she should say. It's a testament just just to how large a part of her didn't believe she'd ever succeed. He stares back at her from the doorstep. And she stares back, nothing but the wind whistling between them. He's a shock to the senses, tall and angular as always, and yet it's as though he's in colour for the first time, health in his cheeks and in the natural tan spread out over him. It speaks to hours in the sun, just as the subtle, corded lines peeking out from the sleeves and collar of his shirt speak to strength. His hair is longer, curling around the edges of his ears, hanging in his eyes, a warmer blonde now. He looks alive, and half of her wants to disappear, disapparate, right then and there, before she destroys something. But then he speaks. Hermione? And his voice is rich and warm and missing, missing from her life for too goddamn long. She reaches for her wand without thinking, pointing it straight between his eyes. I should hex you senseless. Those. Those are her first words to him. Fucking hell. Draco doesn't move an inch. Grey eyes slowly sliding from where they've locked onto hers to the tip of her wand, then back again. He doesn't speak. And now she can't seem to stop. You! You made a choice that wasn't yours to make. When I didn't have a say... When I couldn't speak for myself, you took that from me and you... He opens his mouth. Don't speak! Don't! Let me get this out. She brandishes the wand at him, the voice growing louder and higher in pitch. I... I waited for you for two years. Two fucking years. I stayed in London where you could find me and I waited for you to realise what a colossal fucking mistake you made. To come back and... and face it. Fix it. Hermione, Theo has to face it. I have to face it. Blaze and Harry and Jenny and Neville and Ron. Every day we all have to face it. But you? No. And then I have to... I have to find you here looking... Her voice breaks. Looking the way you do. Have the fucking nerve to look so... So healthy and alive and... Hermione, shut up! She snaps. Voice breaking again. It wasn't supposed to go this way. I can't... I can't believe you'd... Do you want to come inside? No! His tone is softer than she expected. Even in the sharp way, he cuts her off. Come in the house, Hermione. And he steps aside in the doorway. I... I don't want to, she stammers, even as her arm falters and takes a step towards him. He just widens the gap holding the door open. Her heart swells in two directions. She's overwhelmed by the possibility that somehow, some way, all this time, she's caused nothing but harm, and that by crossing the threshold she might shatter whatever fragile happiness he's managed to create for himself. But looking at him, it's like a salve on a furious burn, one that's been festering for too long. It's the first relief she's felt in ages. It's not really a choice at all. Cautiously, she lowers her wand and stows it away, movements timid and uncertain as she follows him into the house and shuts the door behind her.
It's even more modest on the inside, more practical and minimal than she could have ever expected. A small country cottage, relatively clean, visible wear and tear in the state of the ceiling and floors in some spots. She trails after him into the kitchen in silence. I was going to put a pot on, he says with his back to her, voice flat. Okay. If you want a... Okay. Okay. She stares as he finishes filling the kettle, somehow enamoured by the way he looks completing such a menial task. His hands, those fucking hands, are stained brown with soil, the dirt under his fingernails so out of place and human. She tries to hide the way she sucks in a breath when he strikes a match for the stove burner, eyes drawn to his mouth as he blows it out. He turns to face her again when it's done, and she averts her gaze. You seem... She sniffs and quickly wipes her nose, wrapping her arms around herself. You seem absurdly calm about all this. Draco shifts his stance, leans carefully back against the kitchen table and huffs quietly, almost to himself. I'm not calm. The last thing I am is calm. It's a small comfort to hear him say it. Why do you seem I'm not? Her eyes flit up and meet his. It's hard to control the urge to touch him to stride forward and slide her palms over the planes of his cheeks and feel their warmth, to run the pads of her fingers down his lips to see if they're as soft as they used to be. Her face darkens with blood. She can feel it. How did you find me? he asks at last, expression tightly controlled. She shakes her head. It doesn't matter. In the tense silence that follows, she adds, But you certainly didn't make it easy for me, if that's what you're asking. I know. You don't know. He lifts an eyebrow, the only part of his face she can read. Would you like to go back to threatening me? I know you've always felt better doing that. Don't you fucking mock me, she spits, going rigid and narrowing her eyes. It devolves quickly from there. Language, Granger. Oh, I'm back to being Granger now, am I, Malfoy? When you act that way, yeah. You don't get to tell me how to act after what you put me through. Did you even read that letter? It wasn't just about you. No, no, it is about me. Don't say it isn't about me. It's about both of us. It's about you taking control away from me. Their voices rise, ricochet off the small stone walls. You want to talk about control? I have never had control. Not one day in my entire fucking life. He takes a step towards her, expression crackling, breathing, anger and life. So this is your way of taking it back? She steps in to match him, shouting up to his face, reminded suddenly how he towers over her. Punishing me? It wasn't a fucking punishment! What would you call it then? Leaving me? Abandoning me for two fucking years? Letting me wake up in a hospital bed alone? You weren't alone. I was in the way that mattered. They're too close together. She blames that for it when she gets swept up in the moment. So familiar and easy sparring with him. So necessary. She makes that age-old mistake and thrush out both palms, shoving him backwards. It's the first time she touches him. Her skin prickles at the contact, and she's momentarily caught off guard, unprepared for his retaliation. Draco's hands whip out and shackle her wrists, 
yanking them up to frame either side of her face, and he gives her a startling jolt, knocking her off balance. We're back to this, he growls, hot breath gusting up against her skin. Already? In five fucking minutes? Go to hell, she spits, an instinct, jutting her chin forward to get in his face. They notice in the same instant, both breaking off into harsh silence. Their eyes flit down in tandem, taking in the hair's breadth of space between their lips. Her lids feel abruptly heavy, breath hitching just as he blasts out a shuddering exhale. Peppermint. And suddenly, his bruising pressure on her wrists feels like the only thing anchoring her to reality. She narrows her eyes just a fraction further, glaring at him even as the bridge of her nose brushes against his. Do it, or I will, she hisses. Anyone else might not know what she's asking. A threat to most ears. And it is a threat. It is. She can see his eyes that he knows that too. In that fraction of a second before his mouth lands on hers and the rest of the world ceases to exist. With a surprised and muffled cry, she's knocked back by the force of it. And for a moment, she can't match his fever. Can only think feel. She's suddenly reminded how it feels to breathe. Really breathe. It makes her pulse stutter in her chest, and then she loses all control. Her hands scramble for purchase, skidding across the warm slopes of his shoulders, broader now than they've ever felt before. She makes fists in the fabric of his shirt and yanks herself closer, gasping into his mouth where he bites down on her lip. He groans, a groan like he's furious and frustrated, and his hands are desperate too, blunt fingernails digging into the flesh of her hips as he drags her against him. Fucking hell, he grinds out when her tongue flicks against his, and from there it all escalates too quickly on track. One moment he's kissing her, wet and shameless and desperate, her toes curling in her shoes, and then the next... She chokes on another shocked gasp when he suddenly flips them round, reversing their positions, and pushing her back against the edge of the kitchen table. He draws her bottom lip out, sucking hard and dragging his teeth against it, and a moment later he's yanking at her hips, twisting her to face the other direction. Her back to him now, he presses hard between her shoulder blades, forcing her down until she's bent over the table. Her wrists skid across the plate as she tries to brace herself, knocking it off the edge. It shatters on the floor. She can feel his hands shaking as he shoves up the hem of her dress, can hear the clink of his belt buckle as he yanks at it, one callous palm gliding at the back of her thighs towards... The kettle starts to scream, and reality comes crashing down around them. She hears his feet scuff on the floor as he staggers back. Here's the muffled fuck he lets out under his breath. The kettle's shrill whistle dies away as it's yanked off the burner, and she's still bent over the table, panting, momentarily frozen. When she can manage it, she rises up on shaky elbows, dress fluttering against her thighs as it falls back into place, and when she turns around, she finds him staring at her. He raises his hands like he's at gunpoint, eyes wide and disbelieving, an incredulous huff bursting from his lips. He shakes his head, clenches those hands into fists and mashes them against his eyes with a groan, turning to face away from her and bracing his hands on the counter.
I just... He forces out. I don't know what fucking instinct that is. I... Bleeding hell. You make me act fucking mad. What she feels doesn't expect to feel. An abrupt and overwhelming grounding sense of calm. A resolve. Smoothing out her dress, she sweeps the hair out of her face and takes a slow, steady step towards him. Look at me, she says in a quiet voice when she's standing right behind him, watching his shoulders tense at her voice, his knuckles going white against the counter. Give me a minute to... No. She raises her voice just a fraction. Look at me. Hesitantly he turns, jaw tight, body rigid. But her nerve is suddenly fixed, rooted deep and wavering. Perhaps all she needed was a taste of him after all this time. Listen to me very carefully, she says, closing the foot of distance so she can reach out and rest her hand on his chest, on the V-shaped collar of his shirt. There's a set of three buttons that won't do much beside widen the visible expanse of his chest, but she undoes them anyway pleasantly surprised at the dexterity of her fingers as she listens to his breath hitch. What are you? I'm so sick and tired of you making decisions for the both of us. She talks over him, still not meeting his eyes. She's distracted by the view of his chest, gaze going a little in focus as she trails her fingers down the remainder of his shirt towards his open belt buckle. No one makes choices for me. You should know that by now. No one. She drags down on the zipper. The sound as its teeth release, loud in the otherwise heavy silence. Are you listening? She lifts her eyes to his, quirking an eyebrow. She's in control now. And fuck if it doesn't feel good. A deep flush has spread out across his face. His lips parted as he stares at her. Do you really think I don't want that? She asks, tone mild, even as she shakes her hand between the waistband of his underwear and the rich heat of its skin. His grip tightens on the counter, eyes momentarily squeezing shut and jaw twitching as she wraps her fingers around him. He's warm and smooth as velvet, just like she remembers, and he's harder than she expected. She can feel him swelling steadily in her soft grip. Want, he manages after a moment, forcing his eyes open, though it seems to take a great effort. Want what? You, she answers slowly dragging her hand up and down the length of him. Once. Twice. Do you think I would let you do these things to me? The things you've done? She pauses to squeeze, delighted in the way his whole body jerks. Do you really think I would let you bend me over a table like that if I didn't want it as badly as you do? What do you take me for? A groan he's been trying to hold back fights its way out as she sweeps her thumb over the swollen head gathering up the moisture steadily leaking from the tip. That's your mistake. Your one fatal flaw, she says, starting to pump up and down again. You decide what you can't have without asking. He yanks her to him so suddenly that her grip on him fumbles, her hand getting trapped between them as his tongue delves into her mouth. Don't stop, he pants around her bottom lip when her touch falls away. But even then he's already turning them round twisting to pin her up against the counter in that way he can't seem to help. She blooms under his touch, opening and loosening and going slack for the first time in so long. 
Her head falls back as she mouths a burning path down from the centre of her lips to the valley above her collarbone, moaning against her all the while like he's quenching in desperate thirst, giving in to a filthy habit. She doesn't mind being a habit, not if it feels like this. Why did you do it? she asks without thinking, eyes closed and mouth agape as he tugs down the sleeve of her dress to expose her shoulder. His teeth graze the skin and she shivers, bucking a little against him. Why did you go? He doesn't answer at first, only drags his tongue back along the expanse between her shoulder and her throat. Her legs start to shake. Why? When it feels like this? Because it feels like this, he admits unexpectedly, nipping at her pulse point. It feels like this, and I know I don't deserve it. She scoffs at that, frustrated by the modesty of his hands resting on her hips. She yanks at one and presses it against her breast with the thin material of the dress, feeling his breath catch against her throat. Well, that's fucking ridiculous, she says. I think you swear more than I do now. The sarcasm in his tone has a surprising effect on her, a pulse of heat riding up her spine. She drags her head up from where it hangs, placing her lips at his ear. Apologise to me, she demands. For what? Oh, he's playing the game now. It's a clear challenge. Threading her fingers into his hair, distracting in its new length and so easy to tangle in, she takes his earlobe into her mouth and suckles at it, hips jutting forward instinctively when he moans. For making such a bad decision she breathes, tracing the shell of his ear with her tongue. For wasting two years of my life. And yours. Apologise to me. His lips pause just beneath her jaw, warm breath giving her goose flesh. For a long moment he just stands there, pressed against her, shoulders rising and falling steadily with each exhale. An unexpected spike of anger flares up in her at the hesitation. Her tone comes out a little vicious. Unless you're too proud. He goes completely still. Pulls back a moment later. Pulls away. Hermione stands her ground. Doesn't say another word, even as his eyes search hers. Expressions swimming in them indecipherable. Proud, he echoes, low and quiet. I'm not proud. Her breath catches in the seconds that follow, because he sinks to his knees. She stares down at him, and he gazes up at her. And slowly, so slowly, his guard falls and she can see what's behind his eyes. In all the years she's known him, she's never once seen him so vulnerable. A position of utter submission, just kneeling there in front of her, hands on his thighs, eyes pleading and desperate. I'm not proud, he says again, barely audible, and then he lifts one hand touching feather light on her bare skin as rough pads of his fingers skate up to the back of her thigh. He leans forward, eyes still on hers, as he rests his forehead just above her knee. All I have is shame. She can't help herself. She slides her palm against his cheek, breath stuttering again when he leans so hungrily into the touch, his eyes falling shut. I'm a coward, Hermione, he murmurs against her skin. I run from things. I... I'm weak, and I always have been. That anger flares in her again, 
sharper than before. She takes his chin in hand less than gently, urging his eyes to meet hers. You are not weak, she growls, teeth barred, furious, and I don't ever want to hear you say that again. His eyes flash, expression flickering, though so many emotions in a matter of seconds, shattering, igniting, pleading, breaking apart, and then something seems to take over, and he's lifting his head, rising up from where he rests back on his ankles. Both hands find the front of her thighs, sliding up slow and deliberate, and taking the hem of her dress with them. His eyes are locked on hers, dark and full of intent, now as he lifts the dress up to her waist, fisting one hand in the fabric. The other finds the back of her knee again and drags her legs apart. She bites down hard on her lip, a sharp pulse fanning out low in her stomach. These are nice he murmurs, hooking a finger in the thin band of the black lace piece she chose this morning. Wishful thinking, she admits in a whisper, doesn't mean to say it out loud. The briefest grin spreads across his face at that, disappearing a moment later as he presses a kiss to her inner thigh, dragging down her underwear while he does it. I'm sorry, he breathes against her skin, teeth grazing close, too close. Not close enough. Their hands scramble to grip the counter tight as he tosses the scrap of lace somewhere behind him, mind racing. She didn't think it would go this way. Didn't dare to dream. It was just wishful. His mouth takes to her mercilessly, and her hips buck. A strangled, startled little shriek ripping its way out of her throat. He moans and drags himself closer burying his face between her thighs as he laves his tongue from the apex to her entrance. Fuck, you taste the same, he says against her, and in an instant he becomes ravenous. His jaw twists back and forth like he wants to taste every inch, only pulling away to gasp and come up for air. Pressure and warmth and the smooth slick of his tongue, the graze of his teeth where she's far too sensitive. She trembles and writhes and even thrashes once or twice, and all the while he keeps saying it, soft and reverent like a prayer. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, she gasps each time in response. Okay, God, okay. Once he even whispers, forgive me, as he hitches her leg up over his shoulder, spreading her wide, opening her up. She comes fast and hard, almost immediately as he slides a finger inside of her, clenching around him and seizing up, knotting her fingers into his hair. One, one day, she stammers as she comes down from the high, shaking and fighting him when he doesn't stop, doesn't pull away. One day I will. There's a clumsiness to it all, a desperation, almost like they're fifteen again, like they don't share a war between them. Like, the world is different. I don't have a condom. That's okay. It's okay. A stumbling up the stairs. Shoes and shirts and inhibitions scattered and left behind. Questions and conversations strung between the breathless rock of his body and hers. Where are we? She wants to know as he pins her wrists above her head on the pillow. Wales. How... how long did you look? He asks as she straddles him 
as his hands guide her hips up and down, back and forth. Too long. With his sheets gathered in her fists and his damp chest against her back, weighing her down, with the scent of him everywhere, she can't stop herself from asking, Has there been anyone, any... Christ, anyone, anyone else? No. He doesn't ask her the same until he's chased her over the edge for a second time. Not until he's limp and panting on top of her, nosing at the column of her throat. She cries when she tells him about Theo, expects to lose everything, expects to watch his eyes disappear for the last time behind the slam of a door. She doesn't expect him to kiss her fiercely, brows drawn in tight, fist in her hair nearly bruising. Doesn't expect him to slide back inside of her, raw and sore, and ask her to promise him, swear to me, never to speak of it again. Sweat-laden and strewn out across his chest, his arm belted around her waist. He's never held her like this. She can't help but ask again. Why did you leave? For too many seconds, he stares up at the ceiling in silence, and she just waits for him, traces her fingers along the line of his jaw. You read the letter? His voice is scratchy, exhausted, and his lips are swollen. Yes, she rests her chin on his chest so she can meet his eyes. And then I burned that letter and spent the next two years of my life trying to undo every word of it. A kiss pressed to his sternum to soften the blow. So suffice to say, your answer wasn't good enough. He blinks slowly at her, drowsy and drunk on orgasm. You want the truth? She nods. The cold, hard truth. She nods firmly. I hate the idea of us together. I hate it. Hermione works to keep her face blank, waiting for him to finish. He deserves that much. She can hold her breath a little longer. Draco tugs on a stray curl, pushing it out of her face. It's the basic law of things. Good should have good. Bad should have nothing. Light needs more light. Darkness only thinks about itself. She can't imagine the look on her face, but whatever it is, it makes him raise an eyebrow. You think I'm light? She huffs. He doesn't respond. He can hold his breath, too. She stretches against him, swinging her leg over his hip to plant her hands on either side of his head and prop herself up. This might be difficult for you to remember, what being two fucking years ago... But I've cast my fair share of unforgivables. She leans down, lets her lips hover over his. I tortured a man and liked it. I no longer qualify as light. She kisses him when he opens his mouth to speak, lingering a moment too long when his tongue flicks out against hers. And you saved my life, more than once. Why can't you be satisfied? She drags his lips out beneath her teeth meeting his eyes through her lashes before setting it free. We are a grey area. Be satisfied. His breath hitches. He reaches out to trace her lips. I am more than satisfied. Then come back with me. A myriad of emotions crosses his face, conflicted and torn. I can't. Why not? You, well, you sort of exiled yourself, didn't you? Prematurely. 
I don't think it would be too difficult to... Hermione, I won't. She swallows her words, stares at him, feeling her chest tighten. Listen to me. He sits up, taking her with him, bracing her in his lap. Listen, I need you to understand. I need this. I like this. This is... it's good for me. I feel strong for once. Useful. Capable. In control. He finds her hand limp at her side, pulling it up and holding it between them. Feel this. He uses his other hand to trace her finger down his palm. Calloused. Rough. I feel like I've lived. She exhales slowly, and knows he can feel her shaking. There's an apology in his voice when he speaks again, letting her hand fall away. I can't go back. It takes an unprecedented amount of time to force herself to ask what she does next. She's more terrified of the answer than she thinks she's ever been of anything in her life. And... and if I stay with you instead? His expression flickers, brows furrow. It takes him almost as long as it took her to admit it. I didn't think I could have both. There's a pause in which they both draw in a breath, and then her mouth lands on his, hard and disbelieving. God damn you! You only had to ask! She takes his face in her hands, only able to break away from his lips every few seconds to get the words out. I want you by my side. And inside of me, and next to me when I wake up in the morning, every morning, and if this is where I have to be to have that, then this is where I'll be. He makes a sound against her lips. Wounded or elated, she isn't sure, and yanks her suddenly back beneath him. It's slow and heady and nebulous. He takes her gently, with her thigh in his grasp pitched up against his side with his mouth on hers and his eyes squeezed shut. Just, just love me, she pants around a kiss. I am. I do. Love me. I, fuck Hermione, I do. Stay with me. I will. April 5th, 2001. Diary. You don't know what it's like to wake up and see her there. But I do. Draco. Chapter 51 September 1st, 2001 Michael, congratulations. I've been assigned to you. You should consider yourself lucky. I'm not going to make you write any ridiculous fucking prompts. I'm not going to tell you to watch your language. And I'm probably not going to judge you for your exceptionally poor life choices unless you do something really fucking ridiculous. When I had to do this myself, no one on the other end of it had to respond to me, so just know you're getting a much better deal. First and foremost, your mother sounds like a cunt. She flips the top half of the page down so she can't see his face. No. No what? No, you can't send this. Why not? What's wrong with it? He's leaning against the sink, aggressively drying a teacup with a dish rag, and he sounds genuinely confused. She raises an eyebrow. Would you like a list? What? He waves the rag at her. It's honest. It's straightforward. Poor pathetic Michael what-so-fuck probably just needs someone to tell it like it is for once. She leaves the eyebrow where it is. 
If you want this program to last longer than a week, you'll have to refrain from calling the subject's mother a cunt. She glances back at the letter. And you'll have to tone down the arrogance significantly. He raises an eyebrow back at her, lip curving up on one side. What arrogance? She huffs a laugh and tosses it to the kitchen table. Fix it, before Kingsley changes his mind. Draco rolls his eyes. It was Kingsley's fucking idea. That's not entirely true. Kingsley signed off on it, of course, but really the concept came from Draco. One of his only good ideas, she often tells him, because she likes the way it makes her face screw up. In truth, it's brilliant. Not only a public service, but also a purpose for him. A link to the world he chose to leave behind in peace. He still can't go back. His wand will remain locked up in a ministry vault. Perhaps one day it might be returned to the Malfoy estate when enough time has passed, but never to him. But there was something impossibly wrong about it when she found him. Something utterly unfair in watching him work on menial muggle jobs. The only sort he could manage with such limited knowledge of muggle life. He, with all his talents, all his brilliance left behind in the wizarding world. So she returned to the ministry, wrist to rest, admitting she'd sought him out. Kingsley had been stern about it until she insisted she was entirely to blame. After all, Draco never asked her to find him. Perhaps didn't want her to find him. She tries not to think of that. Can't help it sometimes. Even admitted it to Draco once, in the middle of the night, tangled up in the dark. His response was brief, uncompromising. Don't be an idiot, Granger. The first time she met with Kingsley, she tried to argue for a reversal of the entire arrangement, against Draco's wishes and the expanse of every dish in the small Welsh kitchen. He smashed them all to bits when he found out, shouting about his own fucking choices as he launched bowls at walls. They went several rounds over that one, screaming at each other well into the early hours of the morning across a floor covered in shattered glass. By sunrise, they reached a compromise. He has a bad habit of slamming his lips into hers in the middle of a sentence, almost always when she's got an important thing to say. But it's difficult to form coherent thoughts with his mouth, tracing intricate shapes down the length of her throat. I don't want to go back. I don't want you to lose everything. He made some sort of joke at that, something about the wizarding world being spared his shockingly offensive journal entries, but then he went quiet, laughter dying off as the gears turned. What if... what if I could help? As it turned out, the St Mungo's trauma rehabilitation programme was a disaster. Very little by the way of regulations. No accountability, an abysmal success rate, and of course there's the utter uselessness of what the whole one-way treatment plan was. With a little sway from Harry, Hermione got herself appointed to the Ministry Board overseeing it. She began implementing significant reformations immediately, chief of which being Draco's contribution, the Co-Recovery Initiative. He hates the name. Despicably uncreative. But he was the one of the first to volunteer, under a pseudonym, of course, and from now on, once a week, she'll be bringing him back letters from assigned patients in the programme and returning with experienced albeit immensely crass, words of wisdom. She spends three days out in the week of Wales and the rest in London. Those three days are usually spent arguing, if he's honest, about how, no, he doesn't know more about television antennas than she does, and no, that isn't al dente, 
and no, she's not going to allow him to practice muggle photography by taking no, no, naked photos of her. No, not a chance. But those three days are also sometimes spent on that rocky beach out in the front of the cottage, teaching him how to sew and how to use an MP3 player. Spent watching old, horrible muggle horror films on the sofa he's very proud to have picked out himself. Spent adjusting, recalibrating, recuperating, remembering how to breathe again. She can't use magic in his presence, and yet she's never felt the need to. It's apparently common knowledge in the wizarding community that she found him. Which weekly paid photographers to follow her around in the weeks after she first returned from Wales, and an alarming number of gossip columnists suggested she looked too well, adjusted for someone who'd lost a lover. They all printed full-page articles with comparisons, photographs from those two years previous and photographs from the present. Even she admits the difference is staggering. But Draco's name remains stricken from every record, his location a secret bound by unbreakable vows between the select few. Herself, the minister, Narcissa Malfoy, Harry and Theo. Theo. It couldn't go on. She spent an entire evening after work pouring her heart out to Harry about it, several pints deep at the leaky cauldron. Because how is she supposed to leave him behind? How can she move ahead knowing he can't? How is that fair? How is it even human? Harry, though, with a depth of empathy and matched by anyone she's ever met, offered the only thing he could. Something he could offer only once. Something, possibly the only thing, that could ever hope to stitch Theo back again. And it has to happen today. Hogwarts is very cautious about who has access to the grounds and when, he'd said. I'm sure you understand why, but I meant to oversee a sweep with a team of Aurors before the school year begins. Seek out any potential threats. We could do it then. She'd barely been able to nod her head. She was crying so hard. That was a month ago. A month that felt like a year. And now it's the first. When does he get here? Draco reaches up high to put away the last of the dishes in the top cupboard, and she catches herself admiring the long, agile shape of him. She'll probably never be used to seeing him so healthy, and never get over the way it makes something in her chest swell at the warmth. Theo should be here any minute. Harry, I'm not sure. Draco scoffs. <laughs> Leave it to Potter to show up whenever he pleases. You do realise he's violating at least a dozen aura protocols for this. He's even letting you go which, as I think you know, is more than just a violation, it's illegal. It's really the least he could do. Malfoy! He turns to face her when he hears that tone, tossing away the dish rag and moving to lean against the table in front of her. Granger, he echoes, flashing a devious little grin and reaching out to flick the tip of her nose. Lighten up, I'm only joking. She lets out a breath, realising only then how nervous she is. What if this goes wrong? That finger slips down from her nose to her chin, tilting it up to make her look him in the eyes. Do they offer positions in worrying? A weak smile slips free. He's asked this before. Maybe, she says. You should look into it. I will. The knock at the door startles them both. No one ever knocks here. Don't act so nervous, Draco says when she stands. If you're nervous, he'll wonder what the fuck is going on. And then he'll be nervous, and that'll make you more nervous, and then Potter will just get nervous by proxy, and I don't want to be the only sane one here. 
She scoffs and swats at him, moving towards the door. As if you were ever sane to begin with. Her hand still shakes when she reaches for the knob. She doesn't want to hope for what can never be guaranteed. It's part of the reason Theo knows nothing about it. But she also can't fathom failing him. Not again. Not like that day on the manor floor, looking into those desperate eyes with nothing to say. No way to help. That can't happen again. Swallowing the knot in her throat, she opens the door. How is it already so fucking cold in Wales? asks Theo from the porch, shoulders hunched as he blows warm air into his gloved hands. She huffs a laugh, can't help but smile. Come on in, then. And she stands aside for him, pulling the door the rest of the way open. Theo steps over the threshold, kicks mud off his boots and then looks up and sees Draco. For the first time in two and a half years. He's about as eloquent as she was. You bastard. Draco crosses his arms, leaning back against the table in that superior way he does and raising an eyebrow. Takes one to know one. They stare at one another for a good fifteen seconds in silence, and the man is not sure what to make of it. Draco breaks first, choking on a laugh and pushing off the table, and then a smile spreads its way slowly across Theo's face. She pretends that's all she sees, not the tears in his eyes, not the hitch in his breath. They meet in the middle, an embrace so rough it's almost aggressive, arms hooked around necks and faces tucked into shoulders. Fuck you for doing that to her, she hears Theo mutter as he thumps him on the back. Draco only laughs again, an easy, relieved sort of laugh. She's been telling me that for five months. As she should, fucking prick. Draco shoves him away and points a finger, still smiling even as he says, Watch it, yeah? I've got every excuse to beat the shit out of you. Theo's brow furrows. It takes him a moment. Then, realising the implication, he shoots Hermione a horrified sideways glance. In turn, she looks to Draco, narrowing her eyes. He knows better than to bring that up. Do I? he asks. It's playful, but somehow it's also anything but. And she can't even express how grateful she is when another knock sounds at the door. Call the muggle cops on me already, Theo jokes. And God, she can only hope that sense of humour survives through all of this. She swallows again, clenching and unclenching fists at her sides as she returns to the door. Hi, Harry. He's in his aura robes, wand in hand, and his father's invisibility cloak thrown over his arm. She'd recognise that patterned velvet anywhere. He raises both eyebrows, puffing out and steaming breath in the cold. Everyone ready? She senses Thea appearing behind her. Potter? He blurts out, confused. Gathering her own deep breath, she turns around in the doorway to face him. I'm sorry, I didn't want you to spend a month overthinking it. Theo's gaze flits between hers and Harry's over the shoulder, tense and confused. I'm... I'm not here for tea. Harry doesn't let them take the cloak off until they've walked a good thirty metres into the Fidden Forest. Theo spends that walk in complete silence only the occasional nervous breath skating past his lips. She spends it worrying, and Draco spends it complaining about Harry not owning a more spacious invisibility cloak, which is probably the only thing that keeps the tension from boiling over. Okay, Harry says when he thinks they're far enough. Oh, thank fuck. 
Draco claws at the velvet immediately, yanking it off with the three of them like it's a poisonous. The crisp air of the forest floods in around them, welcome and refreshing. Everyone all right? asks Harry, but his gaze is fixed on Theo. Hermione glances sideways and finds him still as stone. Only the faintest puffs of breath escape from him, a feeble little clouds of steam, and his eyes are unfocused. It's as tough as he is in shock. She laces her fingers through his, tries to remember what he once said when she felt the same. Come on, Slytherin. Theo huffs at that, seems to snap out of it, if only for a little. Courage isn't one of our attributes. I disagree, she says. Draco suddenly appears on his other side, dropping a hand on his shoulder. Stubbornness is, though. Let's get a move on, not. He shoves him forward, and for a moment Hermione thinks it's too much, too forceful. But Theo's stiff posture seems to slacken all at once, and she remembers she's not the only one who knows him so well. It's just ahead, says Harry, already halfway up the hill in front of them. I'm amazed you remember where it is. He tosses a tuck smile at Hermione over his shoulder. Sometimes wish I could forget, if I'm honest. The words send a brief ache through her chest. Theo squeezes her hand when they reach the top of the hill, pine needles crunching under their shoes. Can you... can you explain to me again how it... how does it work? She squeezes back, doing her level best to ward off tears at the uncertainty she hears in his voice. She cannot cry. She has no right to cry. Not if he isn't. There's an enchantment on the stone. Whoever holds it can temporarily connect with those they've lost. Theo makes a quiet noise in the back of his throat, swallows and coughs as though to cover it up. But it's real. Harry, having stopped just ahead, turns to face him. He gives Theo a solemn nod. It's real. He slips his wand into his pocket then, bending down and sifting a hand through those pine needles. A moment later, he straightens up and takes several steps back. I shouldn't touch it, he says, gesturing to the spot. Hermione glances sideways at Theo again, says, Go on then, in a gentle voice before trying to extricate her hand. He doesn't let go, squeezes tighter. Are you... He nods, throat bobbing as he swallows compulsively. I'm fine, fine. I just... Do you want us to give you some privacy? He's already shaking his head before she can finish the sentence. Don't leave. Please don't leave. It gets impossibly harder to fight back tears. Okay. Only then does he let go of her hand, hesitating another moment before taking a step forward. She moves off to the side, over towards Draco and Harry, giving him a decent amount of space. He glances over at them when he reaches the spot where the stone is. Do I need to... to do anything special, or...? Harry shakes his head. Just hold on to it and think of her. He makes that noise again. Can't seem to help it. Clearing his throat when it fights its way out. How long will I have? Not long. He nods, steals himself. She sees the large cloud of steam escape when he breathes out. And then he bends down and picks it up. About twenty seconds pass in silence. The air seems to settle lower around them, 
cold, almost electric, alive with something. The hair stands up on the back of her neck, a chill riding up her spine. And then Theo's choked gasp cuts through the quiet. Hello, you. Pansy's there, an arm's length from him, just a shadow of her, a grey shade, a sheen. But she's there. Hermione's hand flies over her mouth to stifle a sob, and Draco's hand covers hers almost instinctively. Pansy, Theo stammers. It's barely a whisper. She smiles at him, that same sly, playful smirk she's always had, and she looks so beautiful, even as a shadow. Her glossy black hair flows down over her shoulders like it's weightless, her eyes so bright and alive. Still handsome as ever, she says. Her voice is as clear as a bell, and yet also somehow no more than an echo. Theo is crying, choking on it, trying in vain to hold it back, his fist pressed against his lips and a tearful, disbelieving smile in his eyes as his chest heaves with sobs. Not happy to see me, Pansy teases, cocking her head to the side with a little laugh, and Hermione sees the faint glint of tears in her own eyes too. Happier than you could ever know, he says when he can manage it, sniffing, trying to gather a steady breath. Took you long enough, Potter? Pansy calls, and suddenly she's looking their way. Harry laughs quietly, speaks under his breath. She doesn't change, does she? No, says Hermione, a smile fighting free as Pansy meets her eyes. Still haven't learned how to fix your hair, have you? She asks, crossing those shadowy arms in front of her and jutting out a hip the way she always used to. Hermione laughs too and shakes her head. Pansy shifts her gaze to Draco. You, still an ass? Of course. His tone is arrogant as ever. But when Hermione glances sideways at him, he's wiping roughly at his cheeks. Still a bitch. Of course. She smiles wryly at him, then looks back to Theo. And it's quite a thing to watch that smile soften so drastically. Melt like ice over a flame. And you she says, taking a step towards him. The morning sun passes straight through her as it flickers across the tree line. How are you? He can only shake his head, another sob fighting its way out. He reaches out for her before it occurs to him, then quickly tucks that hand away again. Pansy's smile fractures. It doesn't work like that. I know. He nods, wiping his nose, struggling to hard to keep his composure. I know. Despite this, Pansy takes another step closer and reaches out herself, lets the ghost of her hand play at the brushing his hair out of his eyes. I watch you all the time, she says, and his breath hitches. I hate seeing you like this. Pansy, listen to me, all right? We don't have long. He nods, can't stop nodding, rubbing at his eyes. Pansy reaches out both hands now, places them on either side of his face, and her wonders if he feels the energy of it, feels her somehow. From the sound he makes, she has to believe he does. I would have not gone out for anyone less worthy. He lurches forward, almost buckles in half. It makes him cry so hard. Shush, she soothes. 
Hush, and listen to me, Theo. Listen to me. Still nodding, he forces himself to straighten back up. Forces himself to look at her, the tears streaming down. Don't you waste it. His eyes fall shut. Hermione watches a lone tear fall from his chin all the way down to the forest floor below. His hand shakes around the resurrection stone. Pansy's thumb moves across his cheek as though she can truly stroke it. I want to see you happy. I want to see you loved. Do you hear me? It's both a nod and a shake of his head at once, like he can't fathom the idea. Promise me, she says. I promise me. He forces himself to nod, forces his eyes back open. I I promise, he breathes. I I promise. I I love you, I promise. She smiles brightly then, a ghostly tear cascading down her cheek. Took you long enough? He tries to put his hand over hers. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, she shakes her head. No, we both and I forgot to say it too. She huffs a sad laugh. We're both idiots. Idiots, he echoes, nodding fiercely. But I do love you. And now I want to see you love someone else. I want to judge every stupid little mistake you make, and I want to watch you fall in love all over again, all right? All right. Promise me. I swear. Good. She flashes him a final smile, utterly incandescent. And then it was all worth it. And she lets her palms fall away from his face in the same moment the stone falls from his trembling hand. Behave yourself, yeah? She asks, voice faint, trailing off. A moment later, she vanishes. Swallowing back a sob, Theo turns to look at Hermione. It takes him almost half a minute to manage the words. But then he whispers, Thank you. Draco squeezes her hand. That final, lingering weight on her shoulders finally falls away. She breathes in. Thank you for listening to Breath Mints and Battle Scars by Onyx and Elm. Join us next time for more Dramini stories. <laughs>